You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. You know, I noticed something. Um, I was taking pictures too, but I noticed all of you who were taking pictures, you weren't taking pictures of the whole choir. Right? If you got a kid in there, who are you taking pictures of? Who are you videoing? If your kid was over there, you didn't touch this group over here, right? And here's the reason. Because it's personal. You've got an investment there. And the same is true when we struggle. We might hear somebody else's struggle. But when we are struggling, it's personal. And it becomes consuming. Um... Maybe you're in a time right now when uh, you've taken some medical tests and you're waiting eight days to get the results. I hate that. Maybe you're trying to reconcile a relationship and you don't know if it's going to work. Maybe you're going through a a difficult time financially and and you don't quite see how it's going to play out. Maybe this is one of those times for you. And whatever the occasion, it might give you a little insight into today's lesson. Let's look at it. It's, it's seven verses from Matthew's first chapter, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and he took Mary home to be his wife. Now, It took me 57 seconds, roughly, to read that portion of scripture. But in reality, that's just a scriptural summary that probably took three days to play out, making the reading of that scripture 400 times, I'm sorry, 4,000 times faster than the events played out. So let's slow it down. Let's, Let's go back into the story. And let's look at it slowly. Uh, The first chapter here uh, is the joy of reuniting. Mary, when she was told by the angel she was going to conceive and give birth to a son named Jesus, she took off to be with her cousin Elizabeth, who was going to be the mother of John the Baptist. And she was gone for three months, but now she's back. And and perhaps Joseph and Mary were in a large gathering and they saw each other at a distance and they were so anxious to talk and to catch up. Which brings us to chapter two, breaking the big news and broken by 
the big news. Mary had three months to get down her elevator speech to tell Joseph what was about to happen. How did she do it? Did she lay it out sequentially, methodologically, or did she just ramble and throw all kinds of things in? Well, we, we don't know. But we know Joseph listened with amazement. And when she was done, he sat there stunned. He said, wait a minute. You're going to have to tell me this all over again. I, I, I think I heard some things that I, I don't think I heard. I, tell me this again. And so she, she goes back into it. And, and this time she, she slows it down. And about halfway through Mary's second rendering of this story, Joseph stopped listening. His legs grew weak and his head began to spin. His mouth became so dry. And he looked for a place to sit, fearing that he was about to fall over. Can you feel how he felt in that moment? Maybe not right now, but I bet you felt something like it. Maybe your spouse came to you and said, I'm, I'm out of here, I'm leaving. Maybe, maybe a child of yours, when you were on vacation, took many things that belonged to you and sold them to support a drug habit. Maybe... Maybe a business partner took you to the cleaners. You, you might know how that felt. Mary now is finished with her second rendition and she waits for Joseph's response. His mind is, is reeling. His, his heart is racing. He, he's looking at his feet. He's struggling to find words. And finally, he just begins to ask questions. Mary, you're pregnant. Yes, Who's the father? I, I told you. Were you raped? Listen, we're talking about the Almighty here, she said. Mary, I'm speaking of fact. Were you raped? No, she said. And she begins to cry. Did, did somebody in your family violate you? No, no, no. Did, did somebody kidnap you on your way to Elizabeth and have their way with you? Again, she shakes her head because she can't speak now. She's crying. Mary, tell me what happened. I did tell you. Long pause. Mary, are, are you ill? She begins to weep uncontrollably. Joseph is stunned. And after a long, another long pause, he whispers, I am twice wounded this night. First, by your faithful, faithfulness, faithlessness. Second, by this ridiculous story. And he leaves. Mary, leaning on a wall, slides down it. Puts her head in her hands. She calls out his name, but he's already gone. Which brings us to chapter three. The dark night of two souls Mary didn't sleep well that night. Questions followed, questions followed, questions, and answers were nowhere to be found. God, what has happened to your plan, she asked. Where are you? Was this all my imagination? Would my imagination delay my period? Would my, would my imagination make me sick every morning? Well, have I done something to displease you? What will happen to the baby? What will happen to me? And on and on the questions go in a sleepless night. 
a quarter mile away. Joseph had questions of his own. How could she do this? We've waited for this all of our lives. Who is the father? Has she lost her mind? Maybe she's lost her mind. What will happen to her now? And on and on the questions go. Bringing us to chapter four. Noble plans from a broken heart. After a sleepless night, Joseph decides to take the high road. He will not accuse. He will not publicly condemn. He will divorce her privately, quietly. How does he tell her? We don't know. In person? We don't know. Did he send a best friend? Did he tell her father? We don't know. Which brings us to chapter five. Rebirth of a dream (laughs) in a dream. You know, emotional anguish is far more exhausting than physical labor. And once the decision has been made and he put it into play, Joseph now collapses into bed for another night of fitful sleep. And sometime during the night, an angel visits him and tells him the same story that Mary told him, almost word for word. Which brings us to chapter six. A humble reconciliation. Joseph runs and he finds Mary and he tells her of the dream. He tells her of the angel. And he humbly asks, will you forgive me for doubting you? Yes, of course, she says. And straight away, that day, Joseph takes Mary home to be his wife. They were espoused to be married, which is very serious. You have to be divorced, even though you're not living together, even though you haven't consummated the marriage. It's already agreed upon. But he hadn't taken her home now. He just takes her home, and she becomes his wife. What a beautiful story. But there's some questions. There's some questions that that would be good to talk about. First question. Couldn't, Couldn't have God made this a lot easier? Couldn't he have? I mean, think about it. The the same angel that appeared to Mary and to Joseph, well, what if that same angel appeared to everybody in their village? And And the angel said, okay, listen, everybody come in, come in, come in, come in. Maybe there's 30 or 40 people. And the angel breaks the news to all of them and and says, now this young couple has a lot riding on them. So they're going to need your support. And I want you to get in behind them and love them. She's carrying the savior of the world. Couldn't he have done that? Yes, he could have. Of course he didn't. (laughs) And he rarely does. He really does. Why? why? Why doesn't God make some of the things we go through easy? Let me suggest three things. Number one, to test us. To test us. You know, you, you've been given gifts and you've put them under the Christmas tree, or you will. And you've got these beautifully wrapped presents under the tree, and you might pick them up, you might shake them, you might try to think, what is it? But you won't know until Christmas morning when all good Christians open their gifts. <laughs> Some of you are backsliding and, and opening them on Christmas Eve. Ah, ah, ah. 
Christmas morning. <laughs> and you won't know what you got until Christmas morning. Sometimes we go through things like Joseph went through or whatever you're going through now. And it's not so God can see what's inside you. He already knows. But it's not until you are unwrapped or unraveled, as the case may be, that you will see what's inside of you. You see, he is more interested in the development of our character than upon a a bit of momentary happiness along the way. Because your character is the only thing you're going to take to heaven with you. He's profoundly interested in this. So sometimes he tests us. Secondly, sometimes he does it to teach us to depend on him. If we had all the answers up front, we wouldn't have to depend on him much. I mean, just look at hero after hero after hero of scripture. Abraham was told, count the stars if you can. That's how many your offspring will be. But it was 25 years before the birth of Isaac. Why? Was it so complicated that even God needed that much time to figure out the DNA on this? Or was God doing something in Abraham's heart? And look what he's done. To this day, the descendants of Abraham know who they are. There's no other example of parentage in the world like that. Moses waited 40 years until he saw the burning bush. Another 40 years after. Why? God was teaching him and the children of Israel dependence. David waited 13 years from the time he was anointed to the time he became king. Joseph, the son of Jacob, thrown into prison, falsely accused of raping somebody. 13 years. What was God doing in his heart? Sometimes the things we go through, the thing you're going through now, are designed to teach you to depend on him. I'll give you a third reason. You might think it's funny. I'm deadly serious. It keeps us from arrogance. I have a theory. It says arrogance is the byproduct of breathing. <laughs> think about it. Arrogance comes naturally to us. And if we knew what God was going to do and what our role to play in it was long beforehand, we could just take it over ourselves. Know this. What God says in the light, God will honor in the night. God's timing is not your timing, is not my timing. But he does all things well and his timing is perfect. So where are you today? Is this the time for you? Where you are enduring 
a dark night of the soul where you don't know how it's going to play out. You sure wish you would. But God is strangely silent. Where are you today? Are you waiting in faithfulness to obey? Or sometimes I've just given up. Maybe you have too. Maybe whatever it is that's pressing you now is, is so hard to, to reconcile. God is a loving God and God loves me because of what you're going through. You, you might think, well, God is a loving God. Yes, but for one reason or another, he's written off me. Oh, let me tell you, nothing's further from the truth. God doesn't love any of us because there's something lovely in us. God loves us because he's decided to. He refuses to do anything other. Where are you today? I want to suggest to you that regardless of the trial you're in, he loves you. He is faithful. And you will see his hand again. He is not always silent, but sometimes he chooses to be. But you can trust him. Would you bow your heads? Father, some of my friends in this room are going through a difficult time. Some are numb with grief. Some are confused. Some are trying to hold their bodies together. And any number of other situations that confront us. And I pray now in the name and in the power of the infant Jesus who became our sacrificing king that you would remind them today that they are not alone. That you love them. That your plan will not be thwarted. I pray in the name and in the power of Jesus that your people will rest in the knowledge that you will provide, you will deliver, you will come through. Now we know, Father, that none of us are getting out of here alive. We know this. So beyond those prayers, we thank you that in your great love for us, you've made provision and you've given us an eternal hope that defies all logic, that is more wonderful than we can imagine. And we thank you. Let me just give you a moment to pray, would you please? What do you want to say to the Father? Stand for our benediction, please.
eternal and loving God. We thank you that no plan of yours is ever thwarted. We thank you that you love without exception. We pray that your people will rest in you. We thank you this week. (laughs) We remember fresh that you came here. You landed behind enemy lines disguised as a baby. We thank you that you have a plan and that we, your people, are right in it. We thank you. Bless my friends now as they leave. But this week, their hearts rejoice in the knowledge that you are for them and with them and not against them. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. I love you. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.